Welcome, 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 Kip Nation. Welcome to all of you listening from around the world. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast this week. Uh, I want to uh, pray all of you have a wonderful holiday season. Uh, Christmas is around the corner. We celebrate the Christ. We celebrate his birth. But this is also a time just to be thankful and grateful for your family, for your life, for your health, for your strength, for all of the accoutrements that God have blessed you with, uh, whether you live in an apartment or a 15,000 square foot house, it does not matter. What matters is that you have a roof over your head. And if you don't, then we are really praying that God will move upon your life and move upon the life of the church, this influencing church, to be a support system, a scaffold to come alongside of you and to help you get back on the right track. Uh, today, we're going to continue with part three uh, of a series called The Influencing Church. And I, and I really want to uh, take a look at the church during this series from a variety of dimensions, a variety of dimensions. And I want to say what the church is not. The church is not a sedentary organization stayed and, and stuck and irrelevant. The church is not a neutral zone relic. It, it's not the place where people uh, refuse to say anything or refuse to get involved or refuse to be a part of the discussions that reflect upon the culture that is currently uh, in our sphere of influence. Nor is it passe. It's not past. It's, it's, it's it's still relevant, it's still powerful, it's still moving, it still has authority, it still has dominion. The, the, the church is the longest standing institution in the world, but, but more than that, it's bigger than an institution. It's bigger than an organization, it's bigger than an organism. The church has its roots in divinity. It is a divine organization, in other words, it is it has been birthed out of eternity for the author of church and is God himself. And so we have to be very cognizant of that. The church is not a country club for people who have certain means and certain status in life, nor is it a, a take it or leave it place where, where I, if I go, I go. If I don't, I don't. No, the church in all actuality, looking at it, particularly from the first century, the church was not the church per se. It was a group of people who came together to commune together, to communicate together. And when they communicated, they communicated the apostles' doctrine, those things that would substantiate a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so... They were growing one with another. They were learning. This was not just some church meeting. They were gathered together at a time where an all-time high for hostility against people who were part of what we call the way. Uh, Christians at that time, followers of Jesus Christ, were called the way. And so it was not easy for them. It was not easy to, to say what they said. And in many instances, 
when those who were members of the body of Christ, members of the church, members of the way, when they spoke, they were persecuted. They suffered undue duress because of the nature of what they were saying was countercultural to what was acceptable in that time. So I, I say that to say that all things uh, work together for the good because here we are as we're reading the text. And that's why it's so very, very important to read the Bible, not just to read it. It's not a bunch of uh, convoluted or disjunctive stories. It's a roadmap for living in this world because there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing changes. It all remains the same. And so we have to be very conscious that we don't sleep this nature of the church, this notion of the church, and not understand who we are and what we were required to do. Um, the church should be spontaneous. The church should be dynamic. The church should be anointed. The church should be agile. The church should be diasporic. The church should be influential. The church is not one a building on the corner or the building next to the liquor store. Those are buildings. The church is a group of people. The church in its Greek form, ecclesia, the called out. So those of us who actually name the name of Christ, we are the called out. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light. In the Acts, they said they were called out of that perverse generation into the marvelous light. So we need to be carriers of that light. We, The Bible declares that we need to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So we have to be very careful, and we talked about this before, not to become secularists where we literally only have a religious responsibility or a religious morality when we're around church on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Tuesday night or whatever days that we happen to be at the church. We should not be a two-faced people. So when we're in the marketplace, our light should be shining. When we're at home, our light should be shining. We're playing sports, our light should be shining. If we're at the game, our light should be shining. Wherever we are, the mandate for our light to shine never changes because we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We represent a foreign soil and a foreign government. We are of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. So we have to be very clear on our focus. Daily, we get up, we pray, God use us. Ask God to use you every day. God use me. God, what is it you would have me to do this morning? I want to take a few minutes just to look at the book of Acts, and I, I want to characteristically show you the representation of the light through two men, Peter and John, who literally went to uh, the synagogue uh, to share the gospel, to be a part of the service. And there was a man there uh, who had been lame, and I believe it was some 40 years, and they were actually able to... Uh, heal him and in this process of him being healed they find themselves being surrounded by 
the parishioners or the, or the, the people who attended the synagogue and all of them looking in amazement at them. And Peter had to remind them that it wasn't uh, Peter or John who healed them. It was faith in the name of Jesus, faith in the name of Jesus, the faith that we still have and still carry today. Well, so what am I saying? I'm saying they represented God in the earth. So we, as members of the body of Christ, as my uh, spiritual father always says, we are the sole embodiment of Jesus Christ in the earth, the sole embodiment. So what we saw Christ doing throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the same thing or a replica of what we should be consistently doing in the lives of our sphere of influence. So let's talk about what happened here in just a little bit more detail. So just imagine being in a crowd of people. Uh, they were being uh, talked to, preached to. Uh, the gospel was being propagated. Uh, they were reminded of the death of Jesus. They were reminded how they persecuted him. They were reminded of how they took Barabbas over uh, Jesus and, and just the whole uh, barrage of, of negativity that surrounded uh, Jesus prior to going to the cross, that they were participants in that. And uh, at the same time, here comes a group that would represent uh, the synagogue or the temple. And they came with a entirely different attitude. So I'm going to pick up in chapter 4. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's just long. Um, but I will give you the time to read it on your own. Uh, Acts chapter 4. But I want you to hear this. Because what happens with the Bible, what we have to do is make transference. We have to be able to read what it says and then look at the situation or the circumstances that we currently live in and make a transfer of the application of what just happened in the Bible and how that same application is necessary for today. Uh, in seminary, we call it a hermeneutical transfer a hermeneutical transfer but but we want to today just look at the text very simply because we have to establish the fact that even in a cancel culture that is so prevalent today these men peter and john and the other disciples and jesus also lived in a in a type of cancel cultural environment and i want to pick up and show you what i mean now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, came upon Peter and John. Remember, they were sharing the gospel. Being greatly disturbed, they taught the people and preached in Jesus' name the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So here they are preaching when they're confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, surrounded by a crowd of people, and they're literally thrown in jail, put them, they put them in custody until the next day. 
So let's read on. So now they're in front of the Sanhedrin. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Cephas, John, Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. You can see that this is a, a consortium of people who represent the current power structure of that day who were offended, who were, uh, uh, what is the term you, you want to use? They were uh, uh, upset because of the preaching of the cross. They did not want that because people were leaving the synagogues, going to uh, this these places where the apostles would be, just as they were when Jesus was alive, and it was diluting their power structure, diluting the power structure. So they here, here they are, here they are, surrounded, and then they say, when they had set them in the midst, they asked by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what we need to be, and we pray, ask God, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, because we never know when we're going to be confronted in the same way. And said to them, to these men, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by whom this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so they were clear on their purpose, clear on their mandate, clear in their communication, clear on their mission, why they were doing what they were doing, who they were doing it for, and by what means would the Sanhedrin or, or, or this family have to come against them to try to cancel what God was saying through them when they were only helping a helpless man who had been lame for 40 years. And so if you get the gist of the story, you, we have to understand this. We operate, the body of Christ, we operate from a position of strength. We operate from a position of power. We should not operate from the spirit of timidity. Remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So we need to operate with this sound mind, operate in this power, and operate with purpose in mind. Okay? So if you if you get the gist of the story, it gets to a point, it crescendos to a place where the uh, Sanhedrin and the powers to be don't want them to preach at all. And so they're stymied, though, because this was a notable miracle and everybody knew about it. So here's what they, they came to in their, in their deliberation. Listen to this. What shall we do to these men? 
for indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them. It is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Sounds like cancel culture to me. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Are you getting this? God has a way of escape for all of us. When antagonism and trials and tribulations come, we cannot be afraid to be uh, talked about or shunned. We cannot be afraid to say those things that are right in the power of God. The church must be the church. The church must be the influencing church that it was created to be from the very foundation of the world. Its roots are in heaven, divine, of God. And there's no devil in hell that can stop the kingdom of God from advancing in the earth. And so with that said, I want to ask you all to stand up, to fight the good fight of fight, and to believe that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can think and or ask according to the power that worketh within us. Let the power work within you. God bless you. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've gotten something out of it. And I pray that you would walk upright before God as we go into this holiday season. We will not be detoured. We will not be turned around. We will stand tall and say what needs to be said and allow God to get the glory. Just remember, he's got your back. Remember, you've been listening to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. Kip, tell your neighbor, tell your friend, tell the nations, be an influencer. God bless.